This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed. And to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. Welcome to The Final Fix. Uh, This is another episode with Sheree and Malik, uh, part two, to kind of go over more of the personal side of their story. So if Sheree, uh, Sheree, you want to go first, uh, kind of explain why you uh, wanted to be on for the second time? Sure. I'll just give you a brief of our family dynamics, which are crazy. I know we're not the only ones. Um... So I had my first child when I was 17. Uh, Her name is Jessie. She's 40 now. And then my second baby I had when I was 20. And um, years down the road, (laughs) Jessie ended up being quite um, quite a handful. She always had her own way of things and very, uh, headstrong and probably 11 or 12, she started running away and smoking cigarettes and stealing booze from the neighbors. And, um, I got sober when she was four. I got clean and sober when she was four and never picked up a drunk, a a drug or a, um, or a drink since then. (laughs) And, uh, so she started getting into, you know, hanging with the people and, um, doing the things and uh we did everything in our power to to intervene with that we used to have um an at use at youth at risk youth petition where you could file the courts and then every single time that they did something against that then they got hauled into denny youth center and anyway that went on for a couple of years and eventually during her teenage years she spent three years off and on lots of lots of the better part of that incarcerated for um, violent felonies um, that she had committed. And the last time she went in, she did nine months at, at that stretch and got out and found out she was pregnant. And she was 18 at the time, ended up um, living with us and being clean and taking care of herself while she was pregnant. And then uh, she had Malik and almost like, she had him in one moment and the next minute she was off and running. So we knew, we, we suspected the whole time she was pregnant, like, what are we going to do? We can't, you know, there's a baby at stake here. And so as a family and with our friends, we did a lot of um, soul searching and like, how do we go about this? We don't want to feel, we don't want her to feel like we're taking, making a choice, but then here's this little baby and the, and, and the baby takes precedence because, you know, he doesn't have a voice and, or a choice. So, um, lots of things. And we ended up, uh, CPS involved and they gave him to us, um, because she just couldn't take care of him. We had him all the time anyway. And, um, so that's how, that's how we ended up with Malik. (laughs) 
and our our continuation with her the struggle just continued she went on to have four more kids that she was cps involved with every one of them i think and uh somehow she manages to keep them all and right now they are 17 16 13 i think and 10 or something like that close to that and you know she probably never should have had any more kids the kids have paid a real big price and in all that for years we've had to learn how to sort of detach emotionally but stay available and you know it's it's been really crazy it's been really crazy so that's kind of the dynamics <laughs> if that makes sense yeah <laughs> is that clear as mud the, yeah i mean the um we talk about it all the time there's no rule book for handling you know addiction and families and that just adds more layers um it's amazing to me the uh, the cps system and how kind of hard it is for them to get involved in the first place and then once they're involved like there is that intricate relationship but then it's like people you know repeat offenders or whatever you whatever you want to say like that really shouldn't have any more kids or you know i've obviously proved that they're not fit um and then you know what do you what's the right answer there <laughs> like it's it's yeah. difficult yeah yeah it really is so we uh we knew that we weren't up for you know we didn't know how many kids that she would be having <laughs> um, but we did know that with malik the cps for the first few months of his life, they couldn't get involved because they said, well, you have him. He's safe with you. We can't step in, which made no sense to me. Yeah. Okay. The parent has abandoned them, so to speak, with, with us. You can't step in because he's not in danger. So it took her and the sperm donor, uh, who was you know, also deep into dealing drugs and sort of gang affiliated and it took them pistol whipping someone and being arrested and them pleading, Oh, we have a baby. We have a baby for the police to then file a report with CPS. So the CPS was involved. And then many months later, they said, you have to do something. We can support you. But if not, we have to close the case and send him back, you know, or give him to her. And so we started our third party custody case. And uh, that's how, that's how we, got custody in the state of Washington, third party custody is the next best thing to adoption. Yeah. So it, it would take an, an act of the gods to reverse that. Yeah. So that's, okay. we've had, we've had him and he's been safe with us and she's, she's never, she's never had him alone. She had visitation that she could participate in, but never, you know, she was too pissed off at me and, and my husband, cause you know, I'm a baby stealer the big joke in my family now if you leave your child with me for more than 24 hours and i can't get a hold of you it's mine <laughs> so anyways that's that's that part of it in a nutshell um malik if you kind of want to you know delve into your i guess feelings uh you know how you feel on it uh your you know, background into the situation and stuff, you know? Yeah. I, uh, oh man, I don't know. I get a little intense with, 
with Jesse because she, um, well, for Jordan and Alex, I was telling Dom the other day when he uh, when he came over that in the the episode where he read his story and you guys were saying that um, like you don't want to like you feel something that might be negative about your mom or you like say something and then you feel bad um about it like even if she's doing a thing that warrants a negative reaction and then you're like oh well you know like she's my mom i don't want to i don't wanna feel like that i have the same like the same negative feelings but i just never like i don't feel bad like she because there's no good part of her to me it gets a little weird talking to people that have known her since she was a baby because I don't think she was always bad, but for the last at least 21 years, yeah. she is she has not to me done anything good or or even just not bad. Like it doesn't even have to be good, but she doesn't even do anything neutral. It's like anytime she has a chance to to do something bad or make the wrong decision, she just does it without even like it's natural. So my feelings about her and the whole situation tend to lean pretty negatively i think um gosh it's hard not to just say like bad things about her <laughs> understandably <laughs> yeah we would totally get it yeah she's a piece of work that lady yeah well, I think, I mean, just from the little bit that we do know you guys, we can say you're, you're pretty lucky that you do have an awesome mom that, that picks you and, you know, picked you and continues to pick you. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I guess on the other side of the, the situation, so feelings about Jesse, never good. Uh, the feelings about my parents and the, my family and the life that I have almost never bad. Those it's like the complete yeah. opposite. Um, obviously when I was 14, 15, I was probably angry at, at everything yeah. a little bit, but, uh, but no, my, my parents, it's, it's just nuts. Like I can't imagine having a baby and having another baby and then raising them and then thinking I did my job. I'm done. Like now we can travel, do whatever. Um, and then bam, another baby. And just rolling with it like no like they never nobody ever complained nobody ever said anything bad they we just kept going and now they've raised another baby to being an adult and i won't i'm not i'm not gonna bring another one in so you, you guys don't have anything to worry about <laughs> <laughs> i'm on the same boat <laughs> the uh how i know i can't remember if it was before we press record i know um you talked about just the honesty tree like that that you guys have in your family um how was it navigating you know just you guys in, in general that relationship early on like the transparency of this person being for lack of a better term like kind of a piece of shit like <laughs> i <Well>. mean <laughs> She, she definitely behaved that way. Um, we never lied to Malik about who he was, where he came from, you know, that, that we picked him and that we loved him and that we never made a second guess on that. Yeah. 
never it's it's never occurred to me to go oh my god all my these things i could have done for with my life never occurred to me i mean i suppose it helps that he's just a great human being with a wicked sense of humor (laughs) and um he's always been pretty good natured um and he just never misses a beat if anything was he'd question things so we always said you know you came out of jesse's tummy um i was the first one to hold you uh, you stopped crying at my voice and um, um, she's not well. She isn't well at all. And, you know, we tried, um, well, especially when he was growing up, we tried to be honest and age appropriate, yeah. but didn't, um, didn't bash her, didn't bash her with all of the things. Um, we just he said, you know. Out. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. He did. He's an adult now and and he's he can handle the facts. Um but we just said, you know, you came out of Jesse's belly, she's not well. She she can't, she couldn't take care of you. I had nothing to do with you. We were very clear all the time. It had nothing to do with you, nothing about you. It had everything to do with her and and her illness and her sickness. And because she's not well, you can't really talk to her about that. You can't ask her. You can't confront her. So we gave him safe people in our family, within our family and friends to to ask questions, to to be open to, you know, anything. And any question that he ever asked, we made sure to just tell the truth because I didn't want him to not know who he was. Like, yeah. we have a hard enough time in our lives, like, figuring out who we are anyway. And um, in families where there are secrets and things are caught, you know, are, you know, then we all question ourselves, like, am I crazy? Like, what's going on? Is it me? You know, we always, that, that's the first thing we do. What did I do? What's, what's my part? What did, and so we just wanted to avoid as much of that as possible. So sure. we just, you know, told him how great he was and that we were so grateful for him. And um, couldn't, I just, I can't still, I can't imagine our lives without him. You know, it was, it was difficult in in some ways it wasn't hard at all because he was just a little guy and it was our job to protect him um in another way it was really hard because it it really did feel sometimes like we had to pick a side Malik has asked me before you know how can you still love her how can you still you know think kind things. And I, and I, my answer is always the same. Like she wasn't always like this. Like she was a little baby once she was just like, you know, you have little babies and you just love them. And they're, you know, they're whatever they do, they're terrible twos. And then the threes are worse. And then hopefully they settle down and don't tell me that I got a two year old. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. Of course not. (laughs) At at least they can negotiate when they're three. She's the best. This is perfect. She's like, I tuck her in. She's like, cuddle me, daddy. <laughs> eat it up. Every single yeah. night, eat it up. Eat it up. My wife called me a sucker. I'm like, look, there's one day where she's going to hate me. So I'm, this is good. Like, I'm okay with this. I'll sit here, hold her hand, do all that. I don't care. Right? My younger daughter used to say, mommy's nine. Why are you still laying with him when he goes to sleep at night? <laughs> I would say, because. Because he wants me to like we talk and then he goes to sleep and I'll rub his back. And I said, it's not like he's going to be 25 years old and still want his mommy to lay in bed and rub his back while he goes to sleep. Like there'll be a time when, like, yeah. you know, and, and of course it fades. And, and but yeah, eat it up. 
just eat it up. <laughs> there will be a day when she's like, weirdo, like, what do you yeah. talk to me in front of my friends? <laughs> I think that's like the, with this whole thing, like with our, our position with our mom, it's like, I just think like, I, I can't imagine choosing anything over my kids. And it's, I know it's, it's the same, like, I quoted the uh, Ryan Reynolds quote today where he was talking about how much he loves his wife, but he's like, then when she had my daughter, I knew that I would use my wife as a human shield. To <laughs> It's like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a baby girl thing, but like, uh, uh, but anyway, that's a, a separate tangent. Um, right. Yeah. So anyway, it, so it was hard on one hand to, um, a part of it was hard when we had to feel like we had to make a choice. Yeah. And then not only did she hate us for stealing him, uh, but then she hated us for telling the truth about it and that people would know and, and that we would take it into court and we would say these things and, and in a public place. And it kind of goes back to, um, you know, in, in families that have some dysfunction, <laughs> All there famous. are a couple, <laughs> right, right. There are a couple of rules that unspoken rules that we, uh, that we all abide by. And I don't, I'm not the original creator of these, but so um, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel it's like, you never know, you know, you can't trust what you feel. You can't trust who to feel with. You don't talk about stuff. Like don't talk about shit. Don't, you know, and don't, and trust, you never know who to trust and what to trust and when to trust. And, you know, so you're always kind of on guard in some ways. And, um, so she, she kind of operated from there. Like she didn't like us talking, you know, openly about the things that were happening and airing her dirty laundry. And well, if you don't get your dirty laundry on other people, then there's no need for other people to talk about your dirty laundry. You know, but when it ends up in the middle of our living room floor, we're going to talk about it. So we had, we struggled as a family at times to not just pretend like this wasn't going yeah. on. You know, it's, we struggled not to cover up for her and not to make yeah. things better. Cause you know, when somebody that you love has an addiction and they're off the hook, you it's okay if you say bad shit about them. Like if you're processing your anger, but eh, let somebody else do that. And it's like, all of a sudden you have to put your own stuff aside and you get defensive. No, 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 no. That's not, yeah. you know, that's luckily Malik doesn't do that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was kind of, we didn't want other people to say, you know, to trash her because we needed to process our own stuff around it. So Luckily, we had good support and still do um, of people that could hold that space for us and just hear us. And we would talk about how hard it was for us and not go into, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe her. And then, you know, we have to abandon our own selves and go, wait, wait, wait. I have to be defensive now because does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The um, I mean, back to what you just said about pretending like it's okay or pretending like nothing is happening because like, especially for Malik, like this is very real, no matter what 
is pretended on the surface like this this is his life like i mean this is your guys' life too but like as a as a child like going through it the um i i just can only imagine how you interpreted it um malik like growing up what what are your like earlier earliest memories of of things with jesse and like how do you remember processing because i'm sure like anger is present throughout kind of but there's got to be you know more there yeah it uh i didn't really see her i don't remember seeing her a whole lot until i was older but um there was a couple of times like kind of chronologically where i realized like oh wow like she doesn't give a shit about me at all like at all and each of those times i think i just got more and more angry uh i think probably sad uh, even though i like to say that i don't care about her and i don't need her and i wouldn't accept it if she wanted anything from me now but at the time i think i was probably sad like why does this lady who like birthed me like why does she not want me like why does she care why doesn't she do anything she uh going back to how you were talking about your daughter i feel like that's how a lot of people think about um their kids when i came out when jesse had me you know how they put uh babies on their mom like when they come out they lay them down they went to do it and she was like no 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 no, you you i don't want him like don't put him on me and so i was like how do you do like how do you do that to a baby i hadn't even done anything yet I get it if I was like annoying or something like if I got older, if I was a shitty kid and she was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't really want this guy. But like, I was like, I hadn't even, dude, I was still breathing water. I wasn't even breathing <laughs> air yet. And she was like, nah, no, 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 no. I don't want him. There was another time when I was like, I think I was 12. I think I was in sixth grade and she came over to our house. Oh, it also a small thing, but that's always kind of annoyed me, me. And my sister um, refer to our mom as mom. And I refer to her as mom to Jesse. And Jesse, without fail, every time for 21 years, will say, my mom. Like, she'll be like, oh, can you go, can you tell my mom that I, whatever. And I'm like, bitch, she's mom. Like, don't, yeah. don't try to put that my in there like you're special. Like, get out of here. Um <laughs> But I think I was like 12 and she came over to our house and uh, my mom was doing something in another room and we were sitting there like super awkward. Um, Like we didn't know each other. Well, we don't really know each other. But she was like, "Uh, what grade are you in now? And I was like, all right, like that's that's fair. Like she doesn't know me. So like, oh, I'm in sixth grade. And she was like, oh, okay. How old are you again? And I was like, there's no way that you birthed me like how do you forget that she could have just taken a second to do the math and like you know back 2002 ish like she could have been a little bit off and i would have and i would have been all right but she was like oh yeah like how old are you what what's up and i was like she doesn't care like she doesn't care at all i'm i'm like i she doesn't think about me unless i'm there in front of her (sighs) i think there might have been some other stuff but those are like the two things where i was like i was i was done like i wanted nothing to do with her i was angry and sad and probably other emotions that i don't even know what they're called 
Yeah. That sadness like definitely can turn to anger too. And then as you've gotten older, like that anger's there, but it's kind of subsided to where you're like, you, you know, just fuck it. Like it is what it is. I mean, I, I can definitely see that, that, um, like you said, you, you just don't care. Like, it, you know, you have a great mom that, you know, that loves you and chooses you. And you have this person that, you know, it for, for whatever that relationship is or is ever going to be like, just put it over there. It's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I, will, I will say that in 10 years, I'm going to call you so you can talk to my son. Um, I don't know. If I'm, it's your, this is your guys' episode, but there's so much uh, similarity in the life that you've experienced with the situation you're living that um, my son is going to experience. And so it's uh, eye-opening for sure to see somebody that's now 21 talking about it because my son's going to have the exact same experience, essentially. Uh, yeah, so it's just... Yeah. yeah. Let me know. I'll come hang out. We'll... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's weird. To, like I said, I mean, he's he's nine right now, but how he's going to process as a teenager into a young adult, it's just um, it it worries me. But um, I mean, you know, just like you, he has good people. So hopefully he hopefully he makes it through. Yeah, it sounds like with the with the people that he's got around him, I think I think he'll be all right for sure. Yeah. And we'll still be here in 10 years. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. going to say, we'll, yeah. we'll be around. We'll, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're not going anywhere. So, yeah. But I've been trying to toughen him up, but it's not really working. He yeah. still calls me Uncle Poo Poo Head, and then I got to throw him over my shoulder. <laughs> like... Right. Yeah, he's just living a very similar situation with, um, with uh, the, the woman who birthed him having the choice to be a part of his life and just not um, actively not doing that. And so just... You know, I see the similarities and I, I, th <clears throat> I think I feel your pain, Sheree, because I'm kind of in your shoes in this situation. So I, I, I respect what you went through. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very hard, you know, when people talk about tough love and they, everybody has this version of tough love was where you just have to be tough on the person because you love them. And I mm -hmm. don't, I, that's not my definition of tough love. My mm -hmm. definition of tough love is when you love somebody who's, um, addicted to something or when they're using substances or their mental health is, is in such a, a way that it hurts you. Um, tough love for me is sort of giving myself the grace to know that it's really tough to love some, to stay in that place of love for this person who's completely acting out and, and, you know, acting like an asshole all the time. Like it's hard it's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. That's my definition of tough love. It's not like, Oh, let's just be hard asses on the addicts and the, you know, because that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Somebody who's using, and I've, I've had to practice this and practice this and practice this. And I'm not perfect at it yet, but especially with Jesse, I have had to practice and practice at going, she's doing the best she can with what she's got if that's the best she has, whew, I'm grateful. It's not me. <laughs> I'm yeah. grateful. You know, if she could make a different choice, I have to believe that she would, because for me, the way that I had to come to grips with my craziness around other addicts in my life was to let myself off the hook and know that I've always made the best choices I could when those choices were choices to be made. 
some things happen by default. We don't know different. But if I've let myself off the hook with that, um, I have to let her off the hook. I, I mean, like I don't punish her with it. Yeah. There's not, I can't go, well, she knows better and she's just not doing it. Her life is shitty. Her life is really shitty. And when I think if I could see it from her point of view in, in my own self, I just go, there's so many things that have happened that she either caused or created or happened as a, um, as a consequence of something that she said or did or something like that. Um, it's, I can't imagine, I can't imagine trying to deal with all of that. She's just created so much for herself and not in a purposeful way, but just by means of her ability to survive. She's created, all those things have been created. And so I try really hard not to point my finger and blame her, but just to go, okay, she's done the best that she can. Is, is it good enough for her kids? Like she's got four kids that I, I don't know if there's enough therapy to help them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hope so. They've been is traumatized. She, is she still actively using, do you know? I'm, I'm, ass, I'm assuming some, but, but even in the times when she hasn't been using, she's just ripping and roaring and doing the shit that you shouldn't be doing. Like she's yeah. still in that. She's still in that mindset, still in the hustle and the, you know, the doing the thing. And, and she doesn't stop when she stops. She can't get enough sleep and she's just sleeping all the time. And I think it's because all that stuff just hits you and, you know, chemical dependency, you use chemicals long enough. And then of course your own chemistry is not going to be okay. And so then you're dealing with that. And, and, you know, at this point she's been at it for close to 30 years. And, and I, if there's nothing else I've learned, (laughs) which I've learned a lot of things, it's not, I really want her to change what she does. So I feel better, you know, stop doing that Stop doing That hurts me. That pisses me off. That's wrong. That goes against my morals. And, and I had to let go of that long ago and go, I, my job is to figure out how to manage me, not have everyone else change so that I feel better. (laughs) Uh, Talking about kind of that, when I was over there a couple days ago, I think it was Friday, um, talking to you guys about, you know, the, the parts of chemical dependency that, you know, that it comes with, right? Like being addicted and detoxing and all that stuff it's hard for me because the tough love aspect is there because i want to believe that that's still my mom and that's the same person that i've always known but knowing that she's chemically dependent or uh we think i mean it's speculation but that she's chemically dependent I know that it's so serious. And so you're fighting between hoping and being pessimistic about it. And there's like no win. There's no win because if you get your hopes all the way up that high, you know, as humans, we see all the negative. The negative is what is on the media, on everything, you know, 
but if you get your expectations too low, then, you know, you get into those places where you're too sad to do anything. Yeah. And it's like talking to you guys, I feel like has helped me because I'm, you know, finding myself in that middle ground of, you know, managing my expectations and also managing the sadness that comes with, you know, the realization that it might never happen. Um, and Malik talking to you, um, you got pretty passionate about the whole weak mindset thing, you know, like people, <laughs> people saying that drug addiction or, you know, being addicted to anything is just a, you know, weak minded thing. And I mean, I kind of want you to tell people what you were telling me because that shit's true, you know? Um, but yeah, just please say what you have yeah. to say on that topic. <laughs> I got you. I'll say it again for everybody that, uh, that didn't hear it when I said it on Friday, but for anybody that says that people who are addicted to drugs, any drug, but for this scenario, I'm going with an opiate. Anybody who thinks that it's a weak mind thing or they should just, you know, get over it, choose to not do it. I would like for you guys who think that to take 30 milligrams of Percocet a couple of times a day for two weeks and then stop and don't do it again. Like if you, whoever thinks that their mind is strong enough to beat that, it's not hard to test it. And, and anybody that wants to do that will find out so quickly that it has nothing to do with the strength of your mind or your willpower or, or how grown up you are or, or your de decision-making skills. You can't beat it. It's biological. It gets in your brain, literally into the chemistry and the electrical firings of your brain and your body. It is where that shit lives. Like you can't, it's not so, it's just, oh man, that irritates me when people say that because <laughs> trying to make it their fault, which I don't, I guess I don't want to take all responsibility off of the person, but when you really get in there, when someone's really addicted to something, opiate, alcohol, benzo, amphetamine, whatever, uh, it's, it's so much more than they just keep making a bad decision or they keep slipping in their head. If you are addicted to, um, oh, the, the withdrawal from alcohol will literally kill somebody. It's not, it's not their, their, they can't handle it. The, the withdrawal from a severe alcoholic will literally fry your brain. You'll have a seizure and you'll die. The withdrawals from opiates make you feel like you're going to fry your brain and die, but you, you don't, it just sucks. It sucks so much, but you can see it. Like you can look and you can see it. It has real effects on their body. It has real effects on their brain. People can't sleep sometimes forever afterwards. Sometimes there's parts of their life that are permanently changed from a relatively small section of that life where they were chemically addicted to some substance. So weak mind shit, not true. If you think it is true, go find somebody with perks and give it a shot. <laughs> I'd like to take a moment to remind everybody this is not a medical podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and please don't think that you can play with it like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I empathize and understand. We The episode's not out yet. We 
we just started watching a new show on Netflix and it like, it basically talks about big pharma and the, I mean, the, the, by the time this comes out, that episode will come out. So we're talking about the show painkiller on Netflix that tells like the Purdue pharma story of Oxy and they're basically like uh, re-ramping heroin um, in a time release capsule and like reselling it, marketing it crazy. Um, but it, like, as much as the story follows like Purdue's um, story on this, it also has like a couple simultaneous timelines. And one of them is a, a regular person um, who got hurt at work and starts taking Oxy and like immediately goes from, you know, this, this um, straight and narrow dude, like to complete, like tears apart his kitchen you know, getting a nasty, like dusty pill that he knew fell underneath the oven just to get that one because he couldn't find his others. And like, so yeah, I mean, the shit's real. Well, and, and prime to, to add to that, Jordan, the, what Malik was saying, the, the mind, the strength of the mind. So in that episode or the next episode, he overdoses and he goes to the hospital and he gets home from the hospital and he pulls his family into the bathroom. And he said, he dumps him in the toilet, the rest of his prescription in the toilet. And he says, this is over. And, the, and his wife says to him, your doctor said you need to taper off of them. And he, he says, well, he said, the doctor doesn't know me. And the very next day, he lied to his wife and he went back to the doctor to get his prescription filled. So I think that talks to the mental strength of that, right? Yeah. Like he was so in the moment, like I'm done with this. And not even 24 hours later, he was refilling his prescription. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, there's just, yeah. Yeah, Dom McKenna, you had something. Yeah, yeah, so, it's it's really like on topic for that. Um, when I was over there talking to them on Friday, we talked about, you know, and that's a prime example of someone that is addicted at that point, you know? We talked about the systems that are in place to help you get over, you know, and detox from this addiction are just not sufficient you know and it's like th that's a reason that i appreciate every single person that has gotten over any addiction because there is you know what we see there's more losers than winners so appreciating the people and you know helping them with their struggle every single day like cat for example i mean that's obviously prevalent because of her you know following tiktoks her stories out there um that's why i appreciate her so much because she's gives me hope for mom i mean like s simple as that you know and it's just so crazy to me that once you are there it's like you lost you automatically lost and you can just get hurt at work and you lose right there you, you're, it's hard to get help and if you don't get help you're you know you can ruin your life you know your family hates you whatever and it's like it's just so sad to me watching that show seeing that people and i talked about this in the episode people are milligrams at that point people are the amount of milligrams that are being sold to them that's all we are yeah. and seeing it from a first person perspective all of us it's like how can someone think like that you know that's someone that we love like it's it's just crazy to me and it's sad um yeah i mean that was just a whole tangent but it just it just makes me so fucking mad I have a uh, an anecdote too with that's kind of similar. I have two friends who 
I don't know. I I think I would probably classify them as being addicted to a lot of stuff. But there was one day where they were doing coke, and one of them had a humongo seizure and had to be taken to the hospital. And they're both like smart. They're not. I don't know. I guess like the stereotypical like drug addict that people think of. Like they're pretty regular people. Um, he had this huge seizure. He thought he was going to die. He went to the hospital, got taken care of, and he got back home. And the first thing that he said to my other friend was, where's the rest of it? And she was like, what do you mean? Where's the rest of it? And he was like, well, where's it? Like, we got to finish it. Where is it? And she was like, no, like, that's not what's going to happen right now. Like you almost died. You literally overdosed and almost died. And he got started getting really angry and was like, where is it? Like, give it to me. She was like, I threw it away. I got rid of it. We don't like, you're not doing that anymore. Um, so it's just like, like totally regular, reasonable people. Like they just start doing unreasonable, less regular things when they're, when their body and brain are, are altered like that. Yeah. It's, we've said it so many times and just the way that these things grab you and it doesn't have to be Coke. It doesn't have to be, you know, heroin. It doesn't have to be something completely, you know, illegal, whatever. Uh, I have a, a friend that's, um, I won't say anything cause it's, he's like actively getting sober, um, struggling with alcoholism. And we're, I was talking to him on the phone this morning and like, his one of his parents has always been an alcoholic and um they're just kind of they've been a part of your ever since i've known them and then the other parent was like trying to give him advice and just telling him well you just you just can't drink and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning he's cooking breakfast drinking a beer like um so like you have that and then like i remember when like um, some of the uh, synthetic pot and stuff was getting sold at the gas station. Like, and that, and that shit will kill you. Like, there's just so many things, legal, illegal, whatever, like that are meant to grab you and mess with that chemistry, mess with those neurons firing. Like, it's just a system that's set up to prey on you. I feel like we're we're saying that it's that we're not even we're saying that it's not even drugs at this point. I mean, I just. It was a while ago, but I just saw that kid, the 11 year old kid that shot his mom because she wouldn't buy him the newest video game headset. Yeah. Like what? You know? So just like the, the, I mean, it, anyways, the addictions are everywhere and, um, it doesn't have to be stereotypical. It's just, uh, yeah, it's wild. Well, and that, and that kind of circles back around into how many, I mean, how many of us learned how to manage our emotions in school? Like they don't have a manager emotions 101 class. Like right. and my family didn't talk about that shit. We didn't talk about emotions for Christ's sake. Don't feel that mm-hmm. was, that was our talk on emotions. Don't feel uh, <laughs> Smile. Yeah. look good. It's important how we look, not how we feel. Yeah. Out that shit drives me nuts, especially with boys. They'll like, all right, toughen yes. up. Like don't cry. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. What a setup. What a setup, what a setup for abandoning yourself, not having the tools that you need as a human to make it through your life. And then we wonder, you know, why are so many people addicted? And then we wonder, 
why are we as family members so crazy with our addicted people that we love? Well, because, because we don't know how that's the, for me, that was the ticket. Like, how do I identify how I feel? So yeah, never talk. Don't talk about them. Don't talk about them. No, never um, talk. Anyway. Yes, yeah. They, oh, I, yeah, never talk. When you talked about that, I know exactly what we're talking about because this summer I took like all my psych stuff and so we talked in like, don't talk, don't feel, oh, what is it? Don't you trust. It. Yeah, don't trust. Don't, don't talk, don't feel, don't mm-hmm. trust. Yeah. And we talked about it like um, any sort of childhood trauma or um, like that's innately a trauma response. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's funny. And it's funny. Every growing dis- up. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say every dysfunctional family and some functional families yeah. I, that pretend to be functional. I don't think there's really yeah. a super functional family out there, but. Yeah. So I was raised well, a, a lot by my grandfather. Um, and I, one of the things he always said to me when I would start crying is he would say, are you broken or are you bleeding? And I'd be like, no. And he'd be like, then get up and stop crying. And ouch. Right. And so I grew up that way and I understand it. But I found myself, um, I use that on my kids, but I also have thrown in there, you know, are you sad? I do that. I say, are you, are you bleeding? No. Are you sad? No. Okay. Then why are we crying? Like you, you know, like if you're just crying cause you just aren't getting what you want, then that's not okay. But if you're sad and you want to talk about it or you're hurt, then that's fine. Let's figure it out. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I remember that I was big. Are you broken? Are you bleeding? No. Then get up and stop crying. And Right. But that's just, that was the mentality of a male sure. born in the forties, you know, <laughs> like that was just, right. right. We didn't, we didn't understand that all of this was very traumatizing and this is what right. we were going to end up with in 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happens, what, what would have happened if somebody would have said, not even like, why are you crying? But do you know why you're crying? Like, do you know what's causing you cry? What are those tears about? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, little kids go. I don't know because every feeling yeah. they have is so big in their little body that they mm-hmm. crying is, you know, I cry when I'm super happy because I don't know what else to do with it. <laughs> that's the thing is like, it's but, all relative. So like for a kid who like for us, when we think about like, that's like, don't be crying over that. But it's like for them, that experience is the first or is the, you know, that is so much to them where we like, the years compound and so we have more experiences but for them to go off of it is that powerful of an emotion it I is and even even sometimes <laughs> crying is so therapeutic like once you figure out that it's okay and that you actually do it um, there's a book like called men uh cry like a man i think it, it's it's a super religious guy so like that shit drives me nuts but the uh it's I think it's literally called like cry like a man and it's this like super Christian guy that's like does martial arts and stuff but he like is all about like letting your emotions out and I'm like all right I love that part of it but <laughs> yeah I cried oh, once in the know, last ten years and that's when my grandpa died so <laughs> I mean, I mean even dude. even even as an adult sometimes I'll have a day when I'm just feely I'm just feel like yeah. I don't know my feelings just come in and attack me I don't know I'm having a feeling and I'll just cry for some no reason and. You know, somebody will ask, Malik will ask, or my husband will ask, somebody will ask, like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know, I'm having a feeling. Like, even me, I don't, I don't, sometimes I just don't know what the feeling is. And so, yeah, when I was little, my dad would say, are you dying? Are you bleeding? Like, stop it. What's wrong with, what the hell is wrong with you? I don't know. You know, so (laughs) I grew up thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? 
nothing is wrong with me. I mean, you know, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to go off the, you know, cry like a man thing. Like I'll be driving and if I catch like a cute moment or if a song comes on that just like hits me, oh man, as soon as I'm getting in the shower, turning on some sad music and I'm just letting it out, you know, because like no matter what those emotions are, whether it's from my mom or whether I didn't have a good day at work, whatever it is, like I've embraced it so much that it's like, it's fine. Like I don't, I don't mind. I'll cry in front of anyone. I don't, I'll, I'll tell someone I cried yesterday. Because I sent you some sad shit and you're like, I can't listen to this right now. I'm going to cry. I'll listen to it later. What's <laughs> about setting? Okay, you got to be um, But talking about when you're a kid and, and stuff like that, uh, when we were at Papa Jim's funeral, you know, and when we were leaving and the boys wanted to ride with me and stuff, um, we were sitting or they were getting in the car, putting their seatbelts on, you know, I was making sure they're good. And I kind of sat there and I was like, how are you guys feeling? You know, like, and they're like, Oh, we're good. We can't wait to go to the, the playground or whatever, you know? And I was like, I just kind of, I want you guys to be here right now, you know? And they're like laughing and giggling. And I was like, I just, I wanted to give them the opportunity to remember this moment because even though they are so young, you know, I want them to realize that maybe looking back, seeing pictures or whatever, it might be a sad memory, but I wanted them to maybe have a glimpse in their head of me asking them, how are you feeling right now? And it's okay to be sad and it's okay to cry and all that stuff, you know, because I, I feel like I was never told not to cry or anything like that. Uh, but I just feel like it's such a great thing to do, you know, like it's so relieving. I think yeah. kids emulate their parents' emotions because Papa Jim's thing. I uh, when I cried, Landon looked at me, and then he started crying. He wasn't crying until he saw me crying, you know. And then you know, I just rubbed his head or whatever. And um, see, so yeah, I just think that I think that emotions are taught as well, you know. Like, oh man, okay, this is sad because. You don't know, I mean, as a child, you don't know death is necessarily sad. You, you're you told that, you're taught that, right? So, um, you know, you dress it up as a celebration of life. Well, kids are like, celebrate, like, like what birthday parties, we celebrate, right? So they're like, we're not going to be sad at this. And then they, they really, yeah. So um, anyways, yeah, back to your well, guys' story, I, but it's just emotions. I, are... Well, and I think, and I think that what I had to learn early on, you know, um, in my recovery of not my addiction, but in my recovery from loving other people who are addicted and, and not, not good for me. <laughs> I was married a few times before and guess what? I married really bad drug addicts, <laughs> way worse than I was. Um, but in my recovery of myself and learning about my emotions and how that it's okay to have them and label them when I can. When I start, when even today, when I do that, it sort of gives other people permission. Like they're looking at me and I'm like, well, you know, I might be a mess. And then they go, oh, okay. So she's feeling that way. Like it's okay for me to let this out. Like, like you just said, like we emulate that or, or our children watch us and then they, but it's not just our kids, it's our friends and it's our community and it's our, brothers and sisters and, and friends that go, Oh, like we set an example as we recover parts of ourselves that 
were lost or taken or we had to give away or we never had to start with. As we gather those and we present ourselves, then other people also have the permission to heal. As I heal, other people watch and they go, oh, well, if it's okay for her, then it's okay for me, maybe. Domino effect. Uh, Malik, I wanted to ask you, um, when it came to stuff like that, when it came to emulating your parents and stuff, uh, how did you navigate the questions and feelings, emotions uh, when it came to Jesse? Because uh, like Cherie said, you know, you've asked her, like, how can you still have hope or love for this person? You know, um, because it's such a different point of view. I just want to know, like, what are the ways that you've coped and handled uh, these things? You know, I am horrible a very bad example of this kind of thing i don't think i think it's this is definitely one of those do do as i say not as i do things because i'm bad with the uh, uh like alex said in the last 10 years he's cried once i don't really cry i tend to just naturally like i don't try to do it i've actually been recently trying to undo it but i kind of just put stuff away i just put it away in my head i don't think about it i don't need to worry about it um, until it comes out sideways at someone in 10 years. And I'm like, where'd that come from? But yeah, I don't, I don't think I have like a, a really good answer. Cause when I was younger, I think everything that I was upset about just kind of came out wrong. And then after that, I just started putting it away. And then I was like, Oh, this is great. Like I've, I beat it. I've won. Like I am cured i'm fine i don't get mad anymore i don't really get you know that sad about stuff anymore and then i started to realize i was like damn i don't really get happy either i don't get anything i just kind of put everything away in a box and i just do stuff like i just am kind of going through the motions of doing things uh, sometimes i feel a little bit better sometimes i feel a little bit worse but it stays pretty moderate uh and i've been i've been trying to get around that there's a uh, there's a book i don't know if you guys have heard of it it's called the will to change and it's pretty crazy i would i would wreck i would recommend who's it by uh this lady named bell hooks and she talks about how boys are um from the beginning like from when you're born you're pretty conditioned to be like that to do away with emotions and and toughen up and be a man yeah and she gets into even if you have really supportive parents who are doing the opposite like parents uh usually i think in her examples they tend to be younger parents because the older generation has some mindsets about stuff where it's kind of weird but even when they're doing the absolute best they can that it's almost inescapable because you go to school and something happens and your friends are like you know why are you crying or why are you wearing that shirt like that's for girl why oh yeah no i was the crier i was always the crier and I got some not even from these two like from everybody i got so much shit all the time yeah it just comes from anywhere it doesn't have to be your dad telling you to toughen up it doesn't have to be uh your mom or your sibling like it's it's just everywhere and it's hard yeah. to get away from uh but and i would i mean it's hard for kids it's hard for everybody but man just 
doing everything that you can to not let that happen when you're young will save you so much time and work when you're older to undo that shit. It's so hard, man. I see stuff. I feel it. Like I'm like, I wish that I could express something right now. Like this seems like the perfect time to shed a tear to this, this beautiful moment or this sad thing. And it just doesn't happen. I'm like, what, what is going on? Why can't I do this? I see other people do it. Other people jump up and down and can't control their body when they're excited. Uh, and everybody tells me they're like, dude, I don't know if you're having a good time. I don't know if you're excited about something. I open something on my birthday. They're like, I don't, do you like it? And I'm like, dude, yeah. Can't you tell? Like, look at me. And they're like, no, <laughs> I have no idea. And it's just like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. It, what? Go ahead. Well, and it goes to, sh- it's one, it's one of those other things that, um, you know, in, in 12 step programs, we talk about, you can put a wall up and not feel that stuff, but then you don't get to choose what comes and goes through that wall. Like if you're going to block all the bad shit, then the good shit's going to get blocked as well. And, you know, or either way coming or going. So it's hard. And, and to Malik's credit, I'm going to give him some credit here. He, uh, especially the last few years has been, you know, quite acutely aware of his feeling or non-feeling and, and, you know, he has a good therapist. Like he saw, he sought her out. He sought her out. He goes on his own accord. He's like, and she's great. Like he'll, he'll go, I'm off to see. <laughs> and, and he's done that because he realizes something about himself, like, Hmm, that he's not, you know, extremely happy about how that is. And so, you know, he takes the initiative, the responsibility to go, okay, I'm going to do do this differently or figure out how. I mean, full disclosure, I had no idea any of this stuff with you guys. And we had an entire hour long conversation before, like, and <laughs> really like, I thought your experience was this was like, you had your experience in the past, you got clean and then you went and helped people. And like, you guys have this experience in working with the community, I had no idea that it went as deep as it does. So like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was yeah, going right? to ask actually, did, um, like, for anyone who may be just listening to this episode and hasn't listened to the first episode, you should go listen to that because there's way more yeah. to the story. But uh, do you think that the um, you, you struggled with your own addiction and you went and you got you know into the uh, needle exchange program and you ran that? Um, was there also that uh, desire to help people because maybe what Jesse went through or was it strictly your own? Um, you know, how did that, how did that play a factor in you choosing to go help people in that same struggle? That's a very good question. And, um, for one, my entire life growing up when I felt most useful to the world was when I was helping someone. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like shit. I, I, I felt so shitty about myself for, for so many years that, that was kind of the way that I felt better about myself. But I also figured out that to use other people to make myself feel better is not, is not really, it's not really cool if I'm doing it just to make myself feel better. Cause then I'm using other people like a drug. And I realized that's kind of what I did. I didn't feel good. I didn't. So I would use other people to sort of fill that void in me. Oh, now I feel important. Let me do this and do this and do this. And now I have worth. Now I feel important. 
mm-hmm. until I wasn't. And then I went right back, you know, those feelings don't go away. So when I finally um, got clean and sober, now, mind you, I sought out help for my, uh, for my love of, of other addicts <laughs> before I even realized I too had a problem. I started going to a 12 step program where it was for friends and family of, of alcoholics and, um, and addicts. And that was where I started my recovery was to go, Oh, wait a minute. I don't get a focus on them. What do you mean? They're the ones that need the help. So I had to look, you know, I had to put the focus back on me. Then I got clean and sober. And then I was going to be a family therapist. Woohoo. No, I hate school. Hate it. Three years in the community college, a couple of two, two year degrees and, and a couple certificates. And I'm like done. So when I started work with, um, with people who are addicted, when I started work at the needle exchange, I got really clear with my intent and purpose. Um, cause I'd done a lot of healing in my own life by then as well. And I can be in the helping field and I can be helpful and supportive of other people as long as I'm not attached to the outcome. I don't get to say, Oh, but I, Oh, I hope they make it. Oh, I, you know, I just have to go here. They are with me in my presence. This is what I have to offer. And in this moment, it's good. Of course, I'm hopeful for everyone, but I don't get to decide, you know, addiction with addiction comes death death more so than it should be. And, and over the years, as I've talked to other parents, whether it was when I was working and I was talking to a client's parents or family or in my own life at a meeting or in my own life where, you know, it just seems like wherever I go, there are people and, and I'm a, (laughs) I attract people who have a lot of stuff and I'm easy to talk to. So, so I hear a lot of stories and people say, well, I'm afraid they're going to die. And my answer is always, you know what? They might. They might, you know, thinking about your mom, like nobody wants her to die. We want her to live and we want her to thrive and we want her to be okay. But the bottom line is addiction might take her. That sucks. Like that sucks. That's the reality of it. My daughter, I've thought for years, I'm probably going to bury her. I don't like that. I have this sense at some point I'm going to get a call. All I can, what I hope for is that my people are there to catch me when I fall because I know how to feel. <laughs> I'm a big feeler. Um, but when I'm with other people, it's always, I have to stay in the moment and just remember that I'm here to support them, whether they make it or whether they don't. And I hope that they do. And I support them as human beings as they practice things that might make things worse. (laughs) So my helping, my helping, as long as I stay clear with it and, and I don't do it because it makes me feel better. I do it. And then as a, I do it because that's what I do. And that's how I love people. And my love doesn't come with attachments. And if they stay clean and if they you know, get better. And if that, that's great. I don't get credit for that. You know, I don't get to wear that as a badge on my, on my brownie belt. I don't get to, I don't get to feel like fucking a, I helped them. And that makes me feel really great. I don't get credit for that. I get credit for my showing up Mm -hmm. and my, 
working on myself and being stable and loving them, even though they don't often act lovable. You know, with my daughter to this day, I, I get the credit for showing up. I don't have to take responsibility for, I don't have to take the blame for the things that she does. And I don't get to take the credit if she does things different. What I get to do is take my own credit for just being here for just being stable. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. The moment, the moment that I start going, Oh, I'm going to help because it makes me feel better. Then I have to check my ego because I don't want to help because it makes me feel better. That means that's like, I'm going to take this drug because it makes me feel better. I'm going to go gamble because that makes me feel better. I'm going to go shopping because that makes me feel better. It has to be for me. I feel good about me and I feel grounded and I have, and I know that one of my magical powers, one of my superpowers is being able to love people without attachments and to be present. Mm -hmm. And if I can give that and give it freely and just go, I I can't hold on to the outcome of that. I don't, I'm going to let the outcome go. And then whatever it is desirable or not, I trust that I can manage my feelings about it. And that gives other people sort of the freedom to walk their own path. And it also gives me the freedom to not hold myself, you know, in suspense about, oh gosh, you know, what am I going to, can I not, can I do something that makes them better? Can I do something that makes them worse? Because we, you can't, there's nothing that we can say in a, in in a from a place of love that's going to drive somebody over the edge or drive them to go pick up a, something a, a drug that if yeah. they do that they were going to do it anyway there's yeah. there's less harmful ways to say hard things and and it's tough when we love people we just have to be able to figure out how to love them not with a bunch of strings attached not with a bunch of and it's hard it's really hard when it's your mom Mm-hmm. or when it's my kid or but it's so much easier once that skill is sort of learned and then practiced you have to practice 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah does that make sense it's a yeah, long absolutely. answer wasn't it that's not that's um, that's what i'm kind of trying to do like i'm kind i want to you know be the first person in the stands when they show up to the game and if they're not going to show up there's no forcing getting into the stands you know <laughs> like it's i'll be there when appropriate and i'm not going to overstep the helpfulness of it you know um and that's one thing like talking to you guys and i we're going to have so many more conversations uh, through just life but learning that skill is probably like one of the top things that will help me continue my healing, you know? Um, and I think that it's a skill that a lot of people need to learn because, you know, there's toxic relationships, you know, we rely on other people for emotional support for anything a lot. Um, and kind, kind of trying to, you know, tell the difference between those relationships is like a skill for sure. Yeah, I really, really, really wish that YouTube would take off the, pardon my French, but the 
fucking donation videos to the homeless people. They piss me off when people film themselves donating to somebody that's homeless and then push posting it and they make more money off that than they ever donated to somebody. It's strictly for them. And that just, that pisses me off when I see that stuff because they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for anyone else. They're not doing it because they genuinely care. And that stuff just irks ego. me. It's the yeah, ego. It just irks me. You know, and, and I'm, and I'm guilty. You know, I, I have to keep my own ego in check. Like I said, you know, the helping people, I have to keep it in check because it can easily slip by me and I might be having a hard day and then use some good deed that I did to make myself feel better. Mm -hmm. If I'm, yeah. if I'm doing something anonymously or, you know, that that's a little different. I mean, that, that's a fine line, but boundaries is the other thing, you know, especially when we love people who, who are, who are off, off the charts with their addictions, like not just boundaries for them being able to say no, or, you know, specifically this, this, or this, but, but setting boundaries for ourselves. Like Dom, I think we talked about this the other day, like I'm on, this is my path. And this is Jesse's path. And I have a right to my path. I don't have a right to tell her how to walk hers. You know, it's a, it's a big um, violation for me to step onto someone else's path and go, well, I kind of expect this from you. And I kind of want you to do it this way. And, and I don't want to be a violation. I don't want to be a, in violation. I don't want to be a violator. You know, I want to be able to walk my path. God, my own path is my own path is complex enough that I I have to be really clear with my boundaries with that. Those are my boundaries for myself. This is her, her life is hers. And even though I had her, I, I don't really have a right to say, you need to do this to about your life, because this is really hurting me. You know, I just have to go. I want the best for you, whatever that looks like. And I will manage my feelings over here and love you bigger than that. Yeah. It's fucking hard. It's tough to love. It's tough yeah. to love that, yeah, but it feels so much better. You, uh, mom, you kind of glanced off it a little bit before, but I wanted to make sure that everybody, everybody listening and also you three, because I, in the, in the episode where Dom is reading a story, you were talking about you didn't want to say something too mean. You didn't want to say something the wrong way. You didn't want to tip your mom over whatever edge she may be on. Uh, given uh, that the things that you say to someone else who might be struggling with addiction, but also just a little bit in general, is like reasonable, you're not being super shitty it's easier to say than to believe and know, but just keep in the back of your head that you didn't make them do anything. You didn't, if the person that you love, who's addicted to something is trying they're they're on their path to cleanliness and sobriety. Uh, and if they, if they fall off the path, wobble a little bit, like you didn't do that. It feels like it sometimes. And it's really hard to not, feel like that but it's it's 99% of the time is not your fault you didn't cause them to do that they were going to do it regardless of of what you did and i think that it's important that people try to remember that i mean i think especially as kid like the children of addicts 
like you like it's so hard to remember that like Mo and I talk to my therapist we talk very much about like the logical brain and the emotional brain and like logically yes I did not put heroin in my mom's hand but emotionally I'm like why the fuck am I not good enough like and it, it is that thing like um like why why doesn't she, you know why why don't they do xyz why am i not enough for them to to get clean to do whatever um but I, it is a very good reminder and i appreciate that like we talked about that while you guys were having um like the technical difficulties a little bit because there we do have that spectrum a bit like i was very much so like i'm not gonna say anything because like if i say anything then she's gonna go use and Alex is the opposite. We're like, I'm going to say whatever and whatever happens, like it happens. And Dominic like walks that middle line of like, I'm going to say what I need to say when it's the right, when I feel like it's the right moment. And he even talked about that in reading his story, like uh, making sure, you know, at, at that certain point, sitting with her, seeing how she was feeling, but also telling like her how he was feeling um, and how important that is. And, you know, I go back to this all the time. I think Dominic has healed the best out of all of us. Um, just for these facts that he's been able to express how he feels, even though like Hannah and I have done gone to therapy, done all that. Um, like he's had these moments where he's, you know, communicated better and healed better. And I think that that part of it is so huge. Um, because the other thing is like, if you never say anything and then something happens, you're just stuck with that forever. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry, that was long, but just like <laughs> no. And again, it goes. It just speaks to that everybody heals differently. Dominic yeah. has healed differently. The damage that was done was different. His yeah. his wounds were different. You know, you guys' wounds were different. Hannah's wounds were different. Like everybody, everybody heals differently. In uh, in in Al-Anon, the twelve step program for people who love alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, one of the first things at the first meeting that I ever went to years ago, I think it was in 1988, maybe 87, it was 87. And they said a couple of things that I, to this day, saved my life. They said, number one, it's okay to love somebody who's addicted. And it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person if you love somebody that's addicted. It's just you need to figure out how to love them in a way that doesn't hurt you. The other yeah. thing they said was almost exactly what Malik just said. You didn't cause somebody else to use, to use, you can't cure them. You can't control them, but you can contribute and you can contribute to the wellness or the sickness of a situation. And that's your choice. Like that's our choice. Anybody that's listening, I hope that they hear that it's okay to love your person. It's okay to love them. It doesn't make you bad. You don't have to be ashamed. It's okay to love your person, but it's also even more important to take care of yourself and know that you didn't cause it. You can't control it and you can't cure it, but you can contribute to the sickness or the wellness of the situation. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I feel like you guys teach me uh, something every time we talk, you know, and like I said, there's many more conversations to come. We're in it in that we're in the trenches with the rest of you. Like, she doesn't live right here in Seattle anymore. She lives in a different state, but that doesn't, it doesn't take away from how, uh, how my heart feels. Yeah. 
Um, well, I want to, or we want to thank you for coming on and sharing your guys' story again with everyone. Um, the vulnerability, like, yeah, no, that's it's so like real and vivid. Uh, like Jordan said in another podcast, like it is so vivid and real, even from a distance. And I feel like I appreciate learning from you guys so much, and I know everyone else will too. Um, and yeah, so. And not so to cut you off, but like the the support, like the unwavering, you know, we're just three, th- three misfits figuring this out, talking about it. And, and I feel like from the second we had any interaction with you, it's just been like positive love and support. Like just, we feel it. So thank you. Yeah. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. Very thank much. you for having us on again. And, um, and us misfits, we have to stick together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. That has been another episode of the Final Fix podcast. Um, And like every episode, we just want to let you know that uh, we love you. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.